If you try to lift a hundred pound weight on your first session, you will rip a muscle. And that's the same thing with intermittent fasting. People just think, oh, I saw on the internet, you're supposed to do 16, eight every day for your whole life. And they jump into it and two weeks later, they have all kinds of hormonal imbalances. And then they come to me and they're like, you know, I missed my period. I feel tired. I'm cranky. I don't sleep at night. And that's basically the problem here. What's up, everybody? How are you doing? How are you holding up during this pandemic? Welcome to Mom Light, the podcast dedicated to helping you feel your best in body, mind, and spirit. I'm your host, Kanchan Koya, a molecular biology PhD turned health and wellness warrior, passionate about helping you, helping all of us leverage the power of food and lifestyle as powerful, powerful, potent medicine. Today on the show, we have a very, very special treat. We are diving deep into a topic that is on everybody's minds, everybody's lips, and the topic is intermittent fasting. Fasting has become all the rage for good reason. It's an ancestral practice that we are now bringing into our lives in a conscious, deliberate way, because for most of us, forced fasting because of calorie restriction in our environment is just not a reality. We are in fact swimming in food and have to find ways to be more mindful about how we consume it and allow the benefits of these ancestral practices to work their magic. And there is no one better to help us break it all down, to understand the implications for our health, particularly as women, than today's guest, Dr. Amy Shaw. Dr. Amy Shah is a double board certified MD with training from Cornell, Columbia, and Harvard universities. She was named one of Mind Body Green's top 100 women in wellness to watch in 2015 and has been a guest on many national and local media shows. She helps busy people transform their health by reducing inflammation and eating more plants. Amen utilizing the power of the microbiome to help digestion, natural hormonal balance, and food sensitivities. She is an expert on intermittent fasting. Her Instagram account, FastingMD, is exploding day by day. She shares valuable information, science-backed tips, nuances, and so much motivation so we can step into the best version of ourselves through fasting, and circadian fasting, something we're going to talk about on today's show, something that I am deeply passionate about. She's also running a two-week guided group program where she guides you through circadian fasting and intermittent fasting to live your best life. Without further ado, I bring you the amazing, the inspiring, the very wise Dr. Amy Shaw. Amy, welcome to Mom Light. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I know it's just unprecedented times, as we were saying, you know, prior to this chat. And it's just been such a juggling act. All these different parts, mom life, you know, you're a doctor, your social media presence, like all the other education work you do. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm going to jump right in and ask, how does a conventionally trained double board certified MD become fasting MD and the expert on fasting? 
This is such a great question, Kanjin. It was, it's literally my sort of dark place myself and being in a place where I realize a lot of women are, a lot of moms are, and I needed to find a solution for myself. And once I made a lot of mistakes, but once I found a solution for myself, I needed to share because as a physician, I found that there's this big hole in women's health that, you know, really needed to be filled. So that's really how I started to explore gut health, intermittent fasting, circadian rhythms, the connection between your hormones, your gut and your immune system, all these places where women's health was kind of lagging is the areas that I found myself suffering. And so I thought other people would be in the same light. So I was always obsessed with nutrition um, and everyone knew that that was my thing. And so when I was you know, trying to figure out what to do with my life, one of my friends suggested, hey, you know, Cornell has an amazing nutrition program and I was New York based and that's my dream, you know? So I created um, an application and really I knew back then that I wanted to combine nutrition with the human body disease um, and health. And, uh, and that was my kind of calling and that's what I ended up majoring in when I got in. And so once I finished college, I had to decide what to do. And I thought, what's better than you know, going to medical school to really solidify that connection between nutrition and health. But little did I know that nutrition had not entered medicine. And it's still like, I mean, you could argue that it barely has entered it now, um, Mm -hmm. traditional medical training. And so even though I went to the top schools, I learned amazing things. I was with super smart colleagues Um, I did research. I went to the Harvard hospitals. I was at the Columbia hospitals where I did my um, double board certification in immunology. And I came out of it just depleted. I was tired and I was moody and my gut was just like, I was always bloated. I had gut issues and hormone issues. Like whenever I would like think about what was going on, I was like, I think it's my hormones because it would happen every month. And you know, everybody chalked it off. Oh, you're a mom, you're a working mom, you're a this, you're getting older, da da da. da. And so I knew that I needed to look into myself. I can't imagine living like this my whole life. So started practice and I realized that nutrition was not a huge part of practice. So I started to use it on myself and start to write about it. And as I started to write about it, I realized that there was a real need for it. And that's where it all came from. The intermittent fasting piece happened because this was a novel concept at the time. And I saw all the medical studies. I saw that it increases the mitochondria in every one of your cells, which is the energy center of your cell. I saw that it can lengthen life. I saw that it helps with anti-aging. So I'm like, this is something I should be doing. I can increase my energy. I can improve my gut health. And so that's why um, I started doing it myself. And when I started talking about it, that really caught on because I think at that time, not a lot of people were talking about this as a practical application, at least. Um, And especially Mm -hmm. in women, because I think it was really mostly talked about in the bodybuilding and um, fitness circles. And so that's really how it happened. I started to talk about my journey. I started to talk about what worked. And um, there you have it. That's amazing. You know, it seems to be a common theme with physicians that I've interviewed where they go to these top schools and they're like checking all the boxes on paper in terms of their training. 
And then they come to this, like they hit a wall in terms of their own health. Maybe it's because medical school and residency is so taxing, you know, and it's like, it keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. And it's like, wait, I know what I'm supposed to be helping people like when they're sick, but how come I, you know, I'm not able to find that vitality within myself. And then it sort of leads to this path that's like similar to yours, where it's about, I guess, reaching beyond the tools that you focus on in medical school Mm -hmm. and having to educate yourself and then pass that on to your patient. Um, 100%. And, you know, the other problem is that the Western medical model is really meant to fix disease, like, you know, fix you when you're broken. And so what I found is a lot of people like myself are suffering or feel not 100%, but traditional medicine doesn't really have the tools. And when you look outside of medicine, it's a lot of confusion. Like, as you know, when you look to find solutions that are not medications or not hospital or clinic-based, it's like mass confusion because everybody's trying to sell their thing and push Everyone's their an agenda. <laughs> yeah. They're all trying to push their agenda and you don't know what's right, what's wrong. So that's why I ended up doing my research to be able to at least, I'm not saying I'm all knowing, but at least give my educated opinion on some of these things. So I think that's a lot of where mine stems from. And also being, I have a soft spot for you know women that are busy and trying to make it work. And I know that most, if not all of us are suffering at some level. And it's like this thing that we don't really talk about. Like we talk about how we want to do it all, but really we're suffering through it. And so I think that was part of the push for me is like, hey, we should be able to be happy and healthy also um, while mm-hmm. doing all these things and while being a mom and um, you know being a leader in the space or something, you know, that kind of Yeah, totally. Well, very grateful for physicians like you that have really just you know, taken the reins in their own hands to kind of take this really compelling science and make it accessible to patients and your followers on social and like you're writing a book, which is super exciting. So FastingMD is your social tag on Instagram. And I started following you on Instagram and saw your content and I'm a huge fasting fan myself. It changed my life personally, completely transformed my life. And it's like, just like you, I'm like, yes, more people need to you know, have access to this information and do it correctly. So my first question is, do you think every woman can access the benefits of some sort of fasting or are there really some women who should just not dabble in it at all? So that's a loaded question because as you know, nothing is ever right for everyone. There Mm -hmm. is special conditions, for example, pregnancy, a common condition in women's lives where we just don't have enough information. And so as a mom myself and as a physician, I say, hey, you know, we don't have enough information. So if you want to do it in a very careful way with your physician, you may do it, but it's probably not right for the general pregnant population. You really don't want to jeopardize. um, You never want to be in the starvation mode, you know, if you have a fetus to feed. That being said, almost every woman can get some benefits of intermittent fasting even if it's just 12 hours. I mean, 12 hours seems like nothing because it's like, oh, 7 to 7, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. But typical American eats 15 hours a day. So yeah, I saw that that's statistic three less hours. mind was blown. <laughs> that's yeah, crazy. Like, it's, so, um, it's so crazy, but 15 hours a day basically means that you just stop eating to sleep and that's it. So even 12 hours. So simple as... 
ending your meals at 7 p.m. and just not eating any like kind of nighttime snacks and whatever, getting a good night's sleep and eating in the morning is a simple and easy way that almost every woman can do. And then I, I always say for women, especially because our hormones are wired, just very sensitive to this kind of stressor. Intermittent fasting is a hermetic stressor, a hormone stressor, just like weightlifting or any other workout form. So you really want to go slow and low. I always give women the analogy of running a marathon. On your first day of training, no one is going to go and run 12 miles or 15 miles or 18 miles, you need to go like maybe walk around the block and maybe that's your training for the first couple of days. And then maybe next time it's a mile, go from there and then your hormones won't be mad at you. And otherwise um, you're going to see the backlash. Um, So women in general, any woman, almost any woman can do this safely and effectively, but it has to be done in the right way. And you have to use your, um, I use the same kind of methodology that you would for any hormetic stressor, which is go you know slow and be conservative and work yourself up if you try to lift a hundred pound weight on your first session you will rip a muscle and that's the same thing with intermittent fasting people just think oh i saw on the internet you're supposed to do 16 8 every day for your whole life and they jump into it and two weeks later they have all kinds of hormonal imbalances and then they come to me and they're like you know i missed my period i feel tired i'm cranky i don't sleep at night and that's basically the problem here. So mm-hmm. long story uh, short, uh, women can definitely do it. We just have to adjust it based on what you're used to already. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so for listeners who might not know what an hormetic stressor is, would it be correct to say that it's anything that kind of stresses your body so that your body responds ideally by becoming more resilient? Like you said, exercise. 100%. That's a great um, way fasting. to say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, the big benefits of intermittent fasting, the long-term anti-aging, anti-disease benefits come from this. The fact that it stresses your metabolism slightly, but it becomes stronger. So if you never did push-ups, your body is never going to get stronger in the chest and arm area. And the same thing, if you never ever do intermittent fasting, that metabolism of yours is not going to be resilient and stronger to help you fend off diseases. So it's an easy, it's like exercising your mind with, you know, meditation and reading. It's like exercising your body with workouts. You're exercising your metabolism um, by doing something like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, So, you know, the old adage used to be, oh, you need to eat every two to four hours because it boosts your metabolic rate. And if you don't eat for a long time, your metabolism slows down. And, you know, obviously now we know from the science, there's some really serious things happening in a positive way when you give yourself a break from food. So just to summarize for listeners, how do you view kind of the benefits of fasting, whether it's 12 hours, 16 hours, and I know there could be different benefits at different time points. What are some of the big benefits that really motivate you to obviously keep this practice up for yourself, but then also share it with the world? Like what's happening when we fast? Yeah, great question. So um, just a simple, the first thing you said, you know, the old advice was to keep your metabolism going and constantly keeping it stoked with food. And it makes zero sense if you really look at the science. Obviously, you don't want to be eating at all hours of the day. It just makes no sense. And as you know, it's a terrible way to live, Kanchin. Like I have passed in the past done, 
you know, worked with trainers and tried to do this thing where you eat every two, three hours and you can eat like one morsel of food. And it's really unsatisfying and really stressful and not enjoyable at all. Um, and so that, so there's two negatives to that. And also takes up like a ton of headspace. Like what is my next little handful of snack going to be? You know? Yeah. 100%. It's, it's almost impossible for the busy woman, busy mom, busy parent, whatever it is to follow that unless you carry around like a huge bag of food with you at all times. So, um, and it didn't work. We are more obese. We have more heart disease, more diabetes. We are, you know, have more autoimmunity, you know, um, food allergies have gone up 50% in the last like 20, 30 years. Autoimmune diseases are skyrocketing obesity is rising. So obviously what we're doing is not working. So this is why doing something like a simple fast. So when you talk about the benefits at 12 hours, you're really just giving yourself a gut rest. So basically giving your body a chance to use up its stored glucose. Um, So you have glucose floating around in your blood and they'll use that first. Then you have glucose stored in your liver and probably at the 12 hour mark, it starts to use up that glucose. So that's nice. And then probably around 14, 16, 18 hour mark, you really ramp up the autophagy. And autophagy is when your cell notices, hey, there's no more glucose coming. Let's start to do our deep cleaning, the deep cleaning that we meant to do for ages, but didn't get a chance. And so autophagy basically cleans out all, all the old organelles, all the garbage in the cell. And when you look at that cell under the microscope, it looks younger because how you age cells is how much debris they have in their cytoplasm and how much aging is based on a low, lower levels of autophagy. So if you're really in a high autophagy mode, um, you've ramped it up, your cell is going to look younger. And mm-hmm. if you do that to all your cells in your body, guess what? It's going to make you look younger. You're going to feel younger. Your body is going to work better. And these benefits are you know, starting to happen at every state of fasting, but it seems to really ramp up around, um, you know, some 16, 18, 24, we're not really Mm -hmm. sure exactly where it really goes up. Now, 24 hour mark, we know that it really ramps up. Um, And then we also know that there's other benefits that happen in the kind of 14 to 20 hour mark that come from just metabolic switching. So switching your metabolism from using glucose to using fatty acids that itself is really, really a strong switch. And that switch gets stronger the more you do it. And that's another benefit of going kind of to the 14, 16, 18, 20, um, 20 hour. After 24 hours, you kind of call it more extended fasting. Um, and right. it's not necessarily intermittent fasting. I think what I would say is in the ideal world, you would start with 12 hours. You would bump up three days a week to maybe 16, 18, or you know, something like that. And then uh, one day off a week just to give your body a chance to, um, your mind a chance for a break. And then once a month, I do a dinner to dinner fast, which is uh, seen in the Mormon culture, they call it the Sunday fast. That has been shown to extensively reduce cardiac disease um, in that group. And mm-hmm. what we think is that the autophagy that, that happens at that point is much higher. And I think once a month is doable for a lot of busy people once you're advanced and ready for that. Um, so those are kind of like the timeframes and what happens at each one of those. 
us. Yeah, that's awesome. That is a really fantastic breakdown because there's so much information, like you said, you know, floating around the interwebs about intermittent fasting. What's the best protocol? Everybody should do 16-8. Everybody is doing 16-8. But yeah. wait, they're eating from like 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. Or even 10 p.m. And there's like so many versions. And I just love how you broke down, like how you can get started with 12, go low and slow, kind of build up and some of the benefits of the longer fasts. And also love what you said, which I don't hear often enough, which is you need to take a break from the hormetic stress, which is like the day off, maybe just reset the hormones. And I want to talk about something that you've talked about that I've learned a lot from about like sort of the cycle, coordinating your fasting with your monthly cycle as a woman. Um, And I have to say, I started to put some of that into practice after coming across your feed and it's really, really impacted my fasting regimen and how kind of stressed or strung out I was feeling before. So yes, that's an amazing breakdown. And I just want to say to listeners that you do run a two-week kind of guided fasting program for people who want to get into it in a very educated, thoughtful way. So that's amazing. And they can learn more at FastingMD on Instagram. Um, So that's awesome. You know, one thing I wanted to say is, do you think that autophagy switch and even that metabolic switch from sort of glucose to fatty acids depends on a person's like diet, their exercise level, like I know that we don't know exactly when it happens, but do you think there's variability based on what someone is eating, like the kinds of food they eat or how active they are? Oh, absolutely. So if you think about it, if you want to get to that autophagy and metabolic switch faster, what you will do is in your feeding window, when you're actually eating, you'll go really low on the sugar and sugary foods um, and eat a lot more vegetables because we know that the ramp up of autophagy happens when we run out of glucose and same with that metabolic switch. They're Mm -hmm. kind of related, right? So if we want to run out of glucose, we really have to kind of reduce the amount of glucose we have stored already. So that doesn't necessarily mean just cutting out sugar, but sugar is the fastest and easiest way that the body um, stores glucose. But it also means cutting out processed carbohydrates. So you really want to watch your processed carbohydrates. That means breads and crackers and cookies. It doesn't mean beans and lentils and sweet potato. Um, so I definitely want to have more of those because those are great for your gut. Um, and what I found is one real trick, if you want to call it that, to get into the autophagy and metabolic switch zone is to do a fasted workout. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine scientifically, first couple of hours, you're using your blood glucose when they're like, okay, we'll kind of use that up in the middle of the night. They move to your liver, right? And say, hey, give us a glucose that you have stored up because we ran out of it in the blood. And then you wake up in the morning and just say you just have water or even black coffee if you want, and you go for a fasted workout where, hey, they need more glucose. If you're going to do a workout, even if it's a walk around the block, which is what I tell people to start with, you know, some, something super simple like a stretch, a yoga, a walk around the block, something that's not using a too much of your energy, you end up needing some of those fatty acids. And so you really get to that beneficial zone a lot faster. And then what I say is there's always a trade-off between fasted workouts and muscle gain. So if you are someone who's really trying to gain muscle, then right after you do your fasted workout, you break your fast, like within an hour or so. That's mm-hmm. ideal. And so if you wanted to build an ideal day, that would start with a good night of sleep. 
probably from 10 to 6 is the ideal circadian times if you want, if you just want a template. And you wake up and you do a fasted workout and maybe you get some sunlight. Um, so maybe the fasted workout is outdoors or maybe right before you go to your fasted workout, you just spend like two minutes outdoors getting some sunlight because the sunlight not only goes to your retina and there's receptors that go straight to your brain, there's also uh, receptors all over your body that are seeing this light. And it doesn't need to be direct sun, it can just be daylight. There's something about daylight, even now they know that it's not just the light, it's the colors of the light, the natural coloring of sky. So people always say, I live in a um, gray place. I'm like, it's just being outdoors um, or being getting some direct light in the morning that can really reset your circadian rhythm. So say you do that and then you do your facet workout. And then within an hour of finishing your facet workout, you have a nice vegetable and protein-based meal. That's where I would really add in the protein. If you are someone who wants to build muscle and or you know getting older, for example, we know in older Americans, getting more protein is really protective. So, and then you eat your meal and then you try to cluster as much food as you can between the hours of 12 and five. Um, so maybe your breakfast when you break your fast is a little lighter and then your dinner is a little lighter and then you eat kind of a bigger lunch um, and maybe even another mini meal in there if you want. And then um, you start your fasting in the evening. And one other thing I would say is like turn off your blue light 30 minutes at least before bed. So that would be your phone, your computer, your um, TV, or you know, really, really watch that blue light exposure right before bed. And then there you go, back to the night again. So that would be kind of the ideal day if you're incorporating kind of circadian fasting into your life, which is, I think, the ideal way to do it for the busy person. Yeah, I love that breakdown. It's awesome. And I know you have a really nice graphic on your Instagram with like yeah. a typical day, like a circadian fasting. Honestly, Amy, I love that you couple circadian rhythm biology with fasting because I think very often they're spoken of as totally independent things. And I started to see so many people doing fasting, but like we talked about, you know, completely out of sync with circadian rhythm. So eating like yeah. big dinners, like really late not eating anything all day, kind of eating at five. I mean, what are your thoughts on that kind of fasting where people are doing, say, say a woman comes to you and she's like, I do 16, eight every day. My window is one to 9 PM. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, pairing the circadian biology with intermittent fasting is the ideal to kind of layer it on top of each other. Those two things can be so powerful in changing your life. Like you said, in yourself and in myself. And I hope that other people um, can get the benefits too after listening to this. Hey, you know, this is a simple thing free that you can do. If that woman told me, I feel great, it's working for me, my energy is great, my sleep is great, my mood is great, I'm going to say, great, go for it. And if you enjoy that, that's because, you know, when I talk to people, I realize that they work different shifts, their jobs are different, their lifestyle is different. So I get that. But if you were saying to me, hey, I need something new. I want to improve my energy, my focus, my sleep patterns, and my balance my hormones better or my gut. Then I say, okay, what I would do is really try to eat the bulk of your calories between 12 and 5 if you can. And I know it's really hard because most people, if they work a 9 to 5 job, that's kind of impossible to get the bulk of your calories. But you do the best you can and really try not to eat 3 hours before bed. So that kind of, if you can do that much and shift it a little bit so that you're not eating three hours before bed, that itself can be so beneficial. We have very clear studies that show that your metabolism works poorly 
in the evening. If you try to eat the same meal, there are studies that show the same exact meal in the morning, the same exact meal at say at 8 or 9 p.m. will cause a bigger insulin spike, will turn on more cortisol in the evening. And I think that if you're eating the same meal and you're getting worse metabolic effects, why not just move it up a little bit? And we know that you know eating late into the evening disturbs your sleep. It disturbs your um, GI tract. And if you know, Gunjin, we know that now the clock in our cells, all of our cells, actually they have shifts. So just like we sleep at night and we're focused during the day, the clock in all of our cells works better during the day and it's turned off, it's turned down to repair and growth mode at night. So you can imagine they did a study with skin cells and they found out that, wow, people who ate late into the evening, they have more UV damage in their skin. And so it's not, it's like that clock is in every one of your cells. And when you disrupt that clock by saying, hey, instead of cleaning up and fixing yourselves, here's some food and metabolize it. And the cells have to take in all of that all over the body. They don't function as well. So I think that alone was enough for me to say, oh, well, why should I eat? It's just a simple little swaps and switches into your life. And, you know, getting your family on board. Um, people always tell me, oh, it's because my husband, wife, you know, kids da, 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 cannot do these early dinners. And so I say to them, well, get them on board. Maybe you educate them about the benefits of it. And I know for me, that was a big change because in the beginning, I was just doing it myself. And then now the whole family does it. And it just means earlier dinners and it means no kind of late night snacking. Yeah. Healthier for everyone. That's awesome. Do you have any tips for people who start this and say, oh, I finished dinner three hours before bed, but I'm getting a little hungry because I'm used to my little late night snack. Are there some hacks that people can use? Yeah. hundred percent. Here's some shortcuts. Okay. So if you are hungry in the evening or the morning before you break your fast, either way, you can have tea, you can have coffee, you can have non-caloric liquids. That would be um, phase one, you know, sparkling water. So herbal tea, black tea, black coffee, nothing without, no creamer, right? Well, step one, the ideal situation is just black or sparkling water, no flavor. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the ideal. And then when you get, if you're doing kind of the next best would be, coffee with a splash of cream just to eyeball it in your head it's not doesn't have to be exact but about 40 calories um Mm -hmm. so it'll just be a splash of cream or it could be almond milk in your coffee um just you want to do you don't want to really go above that 40 50 calorie point Mm -hmm. and so that actually can also mean food so if you are really hungry so level three then is or the third best is say you're really hungry. This happens to me all the time, especially in the beginning. And so I get it. You, it's like eight o'clock and it's already been two or three hours since you ate and you just under ate, or you're just feeling like you can't fall asleep like this. What I suggest is you take 40 calories of food, such as a half a tablespoon of almond butter, peanut butter, or you take a slice of avocado. So it's important what you choose here though, because you want to choose something that is low protein. Protein, surprisingly, I think for most, protein turns off the benefits of fasting. So you really don't want to choose to eat a protein-rich snack um, at that point. You want to keep your protein levels low and your sugar levels low, because again, we're talking about you know keeping your glucose at a lower level. So my best snacks that I would suggest would be 
a half a tablespoon of almond butter or peanut butter, and then just wait, get, drink some more water. And at the same stage would be um, a, a slice of avocado and um, even a stevia lemonade is something I make sometimes because stevia is one of those, a monk fruit stevia, erythritol, those are some natural sweeteners that don't seem to spike up the glucose. And uh, again, it's third best. Uh, you you know, obviously the best is just water. And, um, and then for me, I say I wait about 30 minutes to an hour because as you know, Kanchen, hunger is cyclical. And I did not realize that until I started fasting. So what would happen to me is three o'clock every day, I would get this huge hunger spike, no matter what I ate in the day. I just wanted a snack. I wanted something. But then if I let it pass for like an hour and just like push through, I wasn't hungry anymore. So if it was real hunger and my body really needed food, it would exponentially increase. But no, you'll notice that it kind of goes down. And that's the same thing with that evening snack. It's almost like your body just has these um, hunger, you know, it's just uh, from many, many years of patterning. So I, I think a lot of people can relate to when you brush your teeth in the morning, a lot of people will feel like a little bit hungry. And that's just that hunger going up and down. So remember that. Try to see if it passes 30 minutes. And if it doesn't, then go ahead and eat. Like my whole advice to people when they're troubleshooting this is that don't troubleshoot if after an hour or, you know, you still feel weak or dizzy or, you know, you can't function because if it's been that you've done all these things, step one, two, three, and you're still kind of really uncomfortable, um, then that means it's probably time to break your fast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But for 90% of the time, you know, at that point you're like, actually I feel fine and I'll go through it. So I really listen to my body. I, you want it to be slightly uncomfortable, but never like you're not white knuckling through all of this. Right. And I think I've heard you say something that really resonated with me, which was um, once you've adapted, there's an adapted, adapting phase, you know, where you're yeah. kind of getting used to that metabolic flexibility, right? Especially if you're just starting out. But once you've adapted, fasting should feel good. It should feel yeah. like energizing, good, yeah. you know? And if it's always feeling like you're white knuckling, then something needs to be switched around. Right. And so I tell people, here's the check-in, okay? There's a couple of points check-in. One is, how's your energy? Like, could you go and walk around the block right now? And if you can't, that means your energy or whatever your baseline energy is, you really have to check in with that. Because if you're doing a good job, you should feel more energized with all of this. Secondly is your sleep. If your sleep is completely out of whack ever since you started fasting, then you need to back off. You're probably going way too aggressively or doing it, something is off. That's a big check-in sign for me. Then three is your mood slash cravings. Like, are you feeling really down in certain parts of the day, anxious or needing um, certain foods to keep your mood up or uh, energy up? That's um, another check-in. And fourth is um, your cycle. So as a woman, if you're a woman, it's a very easy check-in for your hormones. Your cycle is improving or getting more regular or having less PMS, that means you're on the right track with whatever you're doing. But if you're going the other way, that's the point you have to kind of pull back. Right. And I think that's a great tip that, you know, be flexible and be open-minded while you kind of figure out the ideal protocol for you, right? Like check in with your body and don't just be like, yes. I'm doing the 16-8 and that's it. Yes. And like, you know, this, I'm on yeah. the program. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So let's switch gears to the monthly cycle. Cause I mean, we yes. talked about the importance of layering the circadian rhythm on top of the fasting, but you also then take it to that next level, which I love, which is you don't always have to fast the same way. And there seems to be benefits to kind of adapting the fasting regimen based on where you're at in your cycle. So tell us about that. Great question. So I, when, um, I heard about this. I heard there was a Dr. Jade Tata on, he's on Instagram too. He works with athletes and he had talked about this in athletes. And I thought that's such a great point. So basically the way it works is that day one uh, of your cycle is the day of your period. Okay. Count that as day one. Uh, for women who have a 28 day, day cycle, day one happens right after day 28. So it resets. So day one is the first day of your cycle. This is when your hormones are very low and they're rising up as the days go on. So you may feel day one, you may feel really depleted, but as day two, day three happen, you start to get your energy back. You start to be able to do more things. This is a time you want to intermittent fast aggressively, whatever aggressive means to you. You want to do those workouts that you've wanted to do. Maybe it's a little more aggressive workouts. So you eat like an athlete, you train like an athlete, and your body is much more resilient to stress. So stressful activities, hormetic stressors are very welcome in the first two weeks of your cycle, zero to 14. Mm -hmm. And that's because your hormones are like kind of rising, right? So then we come and, and then you can continue that. Uh, so that would be your intermittent fasting, your workouts, um, and you kind of eat a little more because you're working out more and in your feeding window, you can replenish uh, what you've lost. And then you can do that. Uh, but then the second half of your cycle is when you're kind of starting to go down on your hormones. So the first week after that, ovulation. So days 20, uh, days 14 to 21 might feel okay. You could still kind of continue on what you're doing. In fact, it's a, around ovulation is a good time to do strength training, but you can keep continuing. And then around a week before your period, day 21 through day 28 is when you're going to feel really tired because your hormone levels are dropping and you're going to feel much less resilient to stress. Meaning that this is when the self-care practices come in handy. Uh, meaning if you're going for a massage or you want to do some kind of meditation, something that replenishes yourself and makes you um, control that stress better, those are the times to use those tools is that, that week because you'll notice that the same things that you were doing before feel stressful to your body now. You're also less insulin sensitive. So that kind of sucks because what that means is that the same foods that you were eating the rest of the month now are causing a bigger glucose spike. So that's causing you to have be moody. You're going to have a crash later. You may have more abdominal fat. You might be bloated. You know, you're, um, you really want to switch to eating more foods that have less of a glucose spike. What does that mean? Like a piece of candy is going to spike your sugar. But if you have a um, salad and veggies and fat on it, so you have a salad with nuts and seeds and say tofu and beans, whatever, you're really going to slow down that glucose spike. That the fiber really, really holds that glucose lower. So you're never going to get that spike. That week, you really want to pick foods that are not going to spike your glucose up or uh, you're not really going to eat as much of the carbohydrates as you were before, especially if you're working out less, that makes more sense. So 
what that meant for me is that I was doing more yoga. I did a little more nature stuff. I did a little more self-care routine and I did a little less of the fasting. In fact, I sometimes go, depending on how stressed my life is in general, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll go to no fasting or just 12 hours fasting. Just 12 hours, um, right. Yeah. So then that gives your body a little chance. And then day one, day two, when you get your period, go right back at it. And mm-hmm. so it's a nice way to cycle. And so women ask me, okay, I don't have hormone, like, you know, I don't have a period. How do I do it? And I say, you can cycle it on a calendar month. You don't have to follow your cycle per se, but it's good to cycle in general. So it's a nice template for people who are getting regular periods. But if you're not, you're on an IUD, if you're not sure when this all happens for you, if you're post menopausal, you can just use a sample schedule, meaning like just start on a day one where you're feeling good and energy, that's going to be your day one and then cycle from there. Yeah, I love that. Um, That cycling honestly is also such a game changer. You know, there's so many women, it seems, who are doing all the right things. They work out, they eat right, they fast, they do 16-8, whatever version or whatever regimen they're on. And they're like, I just can't get rid of the belly fat or whatever. You yeah. know? And maybe it's that stress and the hormones being yeah. out of whack, right? And it might yeah. actually be easing up on the protocol in the second half of the cycle that's going to help you manage the stress hormones and lose that weight and get the cortisol kind of back on track. A hundred percent. I think when I understood this hormonal cycling, I was able to understand, okay, this is what I should do for myself to support myself in that time. Before that, we're just blind. Like nobody talks about women's hormones and cycling of women's hormones. It's like this mysterious thing that we're just supposed to do the same thing all month long. But once I switch to really taking care of my stress during that week, you'll notice huge differences. Yeah, amazing. So Amy, I have to ask this question because you know I've heard you talk about it. And I know you know. We also live in this like unfortunately in a world and a culture that is so obsessed with like you know, you can never be too thin, like body dysmorphic issues, like pressure on women. So sometimes there are women, you know, fasting can be an incredible tool to keep yourself at a healthy weight and like get all those amazing benefits you talked about. But for some people, they can take the weight loss aspect maybe too far. I mean, do you feel like there are women who say have like a low BMI already that you would advise against sort of more strict, longer fasting? Or do you think there are ways around, you know, because what if someone comes yeah. in a low BMI, but they want those autophagy benefits, they want yeah. those yeah. anti-aging benefits. Like yeah. how do you navigate that sort of line? Yeah. So that's a great question. So as you know, the majority of modern Americans are on the other extreme with that. They're um, trying to manage the overfeeding, the over um, eating, but there is a minority and especially women that struggle with eating disorders, that struggle with control around food. Those women, I don't recommend intermittent fasting for. So meaning that I just think that if you have a trigger, like controlling your food is a trigger for you to kind of start these negative behaviors, then you don't really want to go there. And I tell people all the time that if you have to get that under control first, before you try any of that, because that's definitely a trigger. Um, And then someone who's underweight, the way I would work and I worked with someone like that um, is that you really have to make sure that you're getting adequate calories in your feeding window. So if you're someone who is trying to get the benefits of this, but not trying to lose any weight, then it's super important for you to get enough calories in your eating window so that 
you can maintain that level of energy and strength and not lose more weight. Love that. Yeah, that's such a great tip. Um, and I think important to address, and I appreciate you've addressed it in Instagram lives and things that you've done, you know, around this eating disorder issue and how yeah. it's a tricky kind of um, line to walk for some people. And it's like good to be aware that this can be a trigger as well. Um, but you know, I still think like 12 hours of not eating can be something that everybody does. And there's so many benefits there. Three hours dinner before bedtime, like little, little things, even if you're not going full on fasting can have such profound benefits. So thank you for eliminating. Yeah. What I was just saying is, you know, this is a simple thing. Not, it's not easy, but it's simple, Mm -hmm. um, that could help the majority of people. Mm -hmm. And I just think that it's crazy that we have so much research and so much benefit and almost very little downside, but we're not recommending it in the mainstream medical fields or mainstream nutrition circles. You know, it's obviously a cult hit on the internet, but I would have to say that the more we can incorporate this into our lives, the better our lives, our health, our energy, and our disease status will become. Yeah, totally. And our ancestors, I guess, fasted because they didn't have a choice and they ended up, you know, going through these waves of hunger. It was like, we live in a society now where it's like, if you're hungry, you got to eat or else. And I think that's been the biggest game changer for me. Like knowing that I don't have to have this knee jerk reaction to that mild hunger signal and run for a snack, you know, sometimes it's dehydration. Like sometimes I need water and, and that's what I'm actually feeling. So it's amazing. Just really grateful to you for this message and sharing it widely with the world. We're super excited for your book. When is it going to come out? Do we know? So as you might know, books take years um, <laughs> yeah. to come out. However, it is done. Um, we're planning for early 2021 launch. So probably wow. February and March. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we can Super. have you back on the show yeah. when that Would comes out. And people can find you on Instagram at FastingMD, where you have your two week program. You also have a really cool supplement, right? That yeah. is launched. Uh, Tell us about that. So um, there is a, you know, a lot of people who ask me, okay, okay, I'm doing everything right. I'm doing all the fasting. I'm doing the sleeping, the stress control, the exercise. So what do I take as supplements? And I say, you know, I'm a minimalist. I only, I took a handful when I was trying to heal myself. And even then that was a bridge. And, um, and in addition to everything I was doing. So what I did is somebody told me, Hey, if you have that combo, let us know and we can make it for you. And so what I did is I made an organic ashwagandha, amla berry, vitamin D, vitamin B, biotin, and I think it's phosphatidylserine and put it into a combo. And basically, you can open it, you can put in your food if you like to have it like that. If you need more D because you checked your D levels and they're very low, you can supplement with extra. And I've just found that I love Ayurveda. Like I used to shun it as a medical student because I'd be like, those Indian people didn't know anything, you know, um, smarter. <laughs> and then I realized, wow, there's all these benefits of ashwagandha and amla berry and all these like Ayurvedic herbs that we know we have science around it. It's not like Mm -hmm. this, you know, it's not like this thing that nobody knows what's going (laughs) to happen. Yeah. It's not woo. So I started taking those and I found some benefits because I thought that it's a nice way to supplement what you're already doing. So that's basically what it is. Balance and Where can people find the supplement? That's on my website. Okay. And is that fastingmd.com? 
It's um, amymdwellness.com. Thanks okay, amymd. Okay, so all those links will be in the show notes so people can find you. And thank you so much again for all this wisdom. Fasting is incredibly trendy. It's also incredibly confusing. And I think there's lots of myths that are sort of perpetuated out there. And I really appreciate you debunking the myths and really tailoring the conversation to women, women's hormones, our stressful lives. Super, super appreciate you coming on and for sharing all this amazing knowledge. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me.